0: And possibility meet. So, before we get started in today's show, I want to preface that I've had a bunch of listeners in our community send me messages via Instagram stating that I'd posted something about the different types of fatigue that we're experiencing or that people could be experiencing. And many people had said, We're experiencing anxiety fatigue. There's just been a lot going on. And so, anxiety fatigue is from being in a constant fight or flight mode and never being able to let your guard down and feel properly safe and grounded in the world. So if you're feeling fatigue, I want to preface the show with this show may be triggering for you, not because of the content like of What I'm going to be talking about being takers in our bodies, but that we're so exhausted and then we go into beating ourselves up and being like, I should know better. I should, you know, be doing this better and thinking that these examples are an opportunity to beat ourselves up instead of here's a perspective. Here's how we do it. So my invitation as you go into listening to this show today is really about like owning your story, right? I use this, this quote from Brene all the time of owning your story and loving yourself. And as she says, it's one of the bravest things that we can do. We own it. You're not supposed to be this perfect, polished self-development where you do it. All right. We're always works in progress And as I'm going to talk about today, there's a lot of cultural programming, there's a lot of systems in place that were created, and of course we do these things to ourselves. So instead of blaming, let's look at it and own it, and then think about what's the gap between what we want to do and what we are doing so that we can take better care of ourselves. So that's my invitation for you today. Okay. It's not to beat ourselves up. It's about being kind to ourselves, owning our story, listening to these examples and giving ourselves clarity so that we can say, Oh, I see this. I see how I'm doing this and looking at what's a better way. So summer's here for some people, depending on where you're in the country, summer's already here lots of universities have graduated, high schools, elementary schools are done. Where I live, we still have spring for a couple of more weeks before, you know, the summer vacations start and summer doesn't, well, it's not supposed to start till I think June 22nd or something, but where I live also, it's 90 degrees. So summer is here, right? That itch for summer is here. And I can hear already what's being said in the backs of so many women's heads it's that voice of, oh shit, what will I wear? Swimsuits? Pool parties? Oh hell no. Right? There's so much shame about showing our bodies because we have all these images of what's okay and what's not okay. And who we're supposed to be. Like this morning I was on Instagram and I don't even know who this person was who had this fancy, very expensive looking car she was dressed to the nines in some very you know fancy clothing and has a little kid and she looks model like and her gives it pulls out a scooter for her kids and walks off in her designer clothes right and i'm like that was never my life when i had a 3 year old and it's still not my life as i'm soon to be 50 right nor do i want to be walking around in heels i'm very clear about that so as we go into summer i want to talk about Let's stop with this diet culture and stop doing what we think we should do because we have been takers of our bodies. We have been programmed to be takers of our bodies. And today I'm going to talk about what being a taker is and give examples of what being a giver is. And for those of you that are new to the show, when I first started out my early days of coaching as a life coach, I was a weight loss coach and really working on helping clients break free from the diet industry and the diet culture and getting connected back to themselves and their bodies, right? And so I'm bringing back some of these old principles that I worked on and my clients, also know that that's part of my history and my body of work. And so sometimes they'll step in. And while I don't do weight loss coaching anymore, we'll talk about it. And I love this idea of givers and takers. We often talk about it in terms of my clients tend to be big givers to other people and are surrounded by a lot of takers. And isn't it interesting that we tend to be takers of our own bodies instead of being givers to ourselves? So I'm going to talk about that today. So being takers of our bodies. One example of this is not listening to our bodies and instead listening to what other people have said. They can be family members. Maybe you've had certain family members who either said, this is how women should look. This is how you should look, but you really want to eat that because you know that will go straight to your hips. Maybe you've had doctors who will question or discount you because of the number that's on the scale, right? And there's some great doctors out there. I'm not saying all doctors are evil. Here's the interesting thing for those of you who have doctors is I've had a lot of weight loss clients who have been doctors. And I remember when I first started out, I was really nervous because I thought, they're a doctor. What am I going to teach them? And then my clients would explain to me, my physician clients, that Corinne, most doctors in medical school get a half day to a week of medical school about weight, right? About nutrition. So, you know, just because somebody has a title, they may not have the tools and they may have bought into the diet culture as well. We have this whole diet industry, right? That is out there and you think it's supporting us, but it's really working against us. I was recently at this big warehouse store. And it was so interesting because I hadn't been in in a long time to watch the new diet fads take place and then what they're selling and promoting at this big warehouse store, right? And it's exactly where our diet industry is. So I used to think, oh, it was going to end after the nineties with, remember the green, everything was like in green, but it was all the fat free stuff and how we said that was horrible. But we continue to repeat these patterns of, oh, this is the way we're supposed to eat. We have this diet industry that tells us this is the way we're supposed to eat and we need to do it this way and it's the right way, right? This right and wrong. Again, something I'm coaching on continuously. So we have the diet industry and it is set up to make money. There's these corporations and these companies to make money and they remind us that they're here to help us with our health, but they're also here to make money. And then there's the cultural programming, right? So I think about when I was preparing for the show of like who were the cultural programming. And so in the sport of swimming, there were coaches. There was a time in this sport that, especially, and it's changed over the last 20, 30 years, but there was a huge programming in the sport of, you know, coaches and really getting harsh on females with their weights not on the men, but females, which is all really interesting, right? And they would say, here's what's okay, here's what's not okay, and you need to lose weight, and you shouldn't be eating this. And, you know, there was a lot of disordered eating that would happen in the sport. So we can also think about, and as I was writing this, I thought about the men in my life who have made comments, right? It could have been at a college party, and you hear somebody, and they may not even realize that you're standing behind them as they make a comment about women's bodies and judging women's bodies, right? It could be a father, an uncle, a grandfather. It can be a mother. It can be an aunt, right? It could be somebody that you know that has some strong opinions about bodies. So women's bodies have been judged about what's okay and what's not okay. And this is how we are takers of our bodies because we're listening to these outside opinions about how our bodies are supposed to be, right? Instead of what is it that we think? So the cultural programming, like I said, there were swim coaches that I grew up with, the men in our lives, right? Judging women's bodies. Here's the other one. The women in our lives who've had their own internalized patriarchy, right? Where they've taken on what the men have said is okay. And then they spout off how we're supposed to look, you know, what's okay, what's not okay. And it sounds like this, oh my God, did you see what she was wearing? I can't believe that. Or she has ripples on her back. She should wear something else, right? These continual cut downs about what women look like and how they're wearing something. Social media is huge, right? I mentioned that earlier. So these are different examples of cultural programming. And here's something that, as I write this, is that I continue to be fascinated by those who proclaim how a woman is supposed to look. And when you look at them, they themselves don't align with this picturesque, perfect image right? We have a former president who really liked to evaluate and judge women's bodies, but he was not this fit man himself, right? So there's these contrasts that goes out there, right? Where people will judge, but they're also not in alignment. So being a giver to our bodies is about listening to ourselves and having the self-awareness of what is our voice and what is the cultural programming. So before I was talking about we're takers of our bodies, when we are taking the judgments of others, whether it's family members, it could be the medical community, it could be the diet industry, cultural programming, right? If it's coaches, if it's men in your life, right? If it's other women in your life, who is it? And you're choosing to live and treat yourself based on what they think versus when we're givers to our bodies, we go back to what do I think? What do I believe, right? My question to you is, do you compare yourself based on what you have seen and been told instead of what is your truth, right? That's how we can be givers. What do I think? What do I believe? What is my truth? That's my invitation for you to practice being a giver to your body. The next aspect is being a taker of our bodies with food, right? And what this looks like is like white knuckling. Here's what we're supposed to eat. Here's what I'm supposed to eat, right? The eating shoulds. That one word should, if you can work on eliminating that, 90% of the time, we don't have to do it perfectly. And for some of you, that may be still like an A minus. So you're like, no, you need to do a B minus. 78% of the time, that would be a B minus, right? That's fine. So We don't have to do it perfectly, but eliminating shoulds, because should is a judgment. When we're a taker of our bodies, we're right-neckling. We're not listening to what does our body need. We have all these rules, these shoulds of what we're supposed to do. And here's the thing. It goes back to someone else is determining what is enough for you. Someone else is determining what you're supposed to eat and what you're not supposed to eat. Or that there are good foods and there are bad foods. Right? You know what foods feel like in your body. And that's about getting really clear about what it feels like. As a weight loss coach, I never told my clients what to eat. That was not what I did. I wanted them to develop the relationship with food so they became clear about what worked in their body, what didn't. You know, there could be some suggestions, some ideas, kind of like I'm going through it with you, but those were just a create some insight in some possibilities and for them to maybe test it out. It's kind of like when I'm cooking a meal, I'll Google, I have an air fryer now. I'm all about the air fryer. So then I'll Google whatever it is. Like if it's Brussels sprouts I have, how do I air fry Brussels sprouts, right? I Googled air fryer onions because like one of my favorite things and then put it in salad and I Google that. So when I'm talking about what are ideas, it's not bad to have ideas. It's when somebody becomes the boss of you or we let somebody become the boss of us and say they know more than I do. Being a giver to our body is listening to our body. It's about building trust with our body. It's about owning our story and saying, okay, Okay. This is what I ate. And then if you don't feel very good, or if it gives you the runs, or if you're bloated afterwards, you still love yourself and go, Oh, note taken. This is how I feel when I do this. What we want to get out of and away from is beating ourselves up. When we eat something, we indulge in something and it gives us a different result than that, what we'd wanted, right? That's not effective. It doesn't create change. So we want to be a giver to ourselves and with the foods, right? Listening to your body with the foods, being present, eating foods that you really enjoy, that you really, really enjoy. There were foods that I used to think that I really enjoyed, right? And it's so interesting because I sit here and I think about them like one would be Oreo cookies. I haven't, I mean, I've had it in ice cream, but I haven't had an Oreo cookie and I have no idea, probably not in this century, Right. But I remember in high school thinking that was the best thing. I didn't never like the double stuffed Oreo cookies, but I liked Oreo cookies. I liked Oreo cookies more because it was a forbidden food than what it really tasted like and definitely how I felt afterwards, right? It was a story of the Oreo cookie versus the experience. And my invitation for you is when you're a giver to your body, it's about the experience while you're doing it. And it's also the experience afterwards and that satisfaction that you feel when you've been a giver, you've nourished your body, you've allowed your body to get satiated. We need fuel to operate. <laughs> our hearts and brains need fuel. This is ridiculous nonsense to think that we should not eat, right? It's about listening to our bodies, being present, being compassionate, which to remind you means not judging ourselves, right? It's being compassionate and then having the empathy towards ourselves where we can learn and have that perspective of what's working, what's not working. Oh, I feel really tired and I ate this. Like one of my clients, she lost over hundred pounds and this was the process. When she ate things, she'd be like, oh, note to self, I don't feel so good right? And she got out of that whole binging and, you know, overeating and using food to numb and was able to lose a hundred pounds over many, many years. This wasn't something that happened, you know, in the blink of an eye, right? So being compassionate, not judging and relearning what works in your body and unlearning the diet rules that we have been programmed into our brains and then are constantly out there telling us what to do. Another thing I want to talk about is being a taker of our bodies and how we treat our bodies. And this comes to not resting when we are tired. People, we need to rest And we have a culture that is set up that where we are told not to rest. We're told to ignore our bodies and not rest. I have done it. I'm a work in progress. I am practicing this, right? And we don't rest and we stay up late. Maybe we don't sleep. We numb on our phones, right? We numb with TV. It could be alcohol. It could be drugs. Those are ways that we are being takers in our body. Another way that's being a taker, which according to cultural programming is like, oh, this is the right thing to do, is punishing workouts to lose weight, right? Where it's like, I'm, I'm working out so that I can go and eat. Well, your body actually needs food to operate its functions, right? Like just sleeping, we're burning off calories. Or we need energy to make our heart work, to make our blood work, for our lungs to work, for our brain to work. We need food just for that but we think we've been culturally programmed. I have to exercise in order to be able to eat. That is part of that diet mentality that we have been culturally programmed to believe, right? Punishing workouts to lose weight. That is how we are a taker from our bodies. You know, another example of being a taker of our bodies is using coffee to overcome the loss of sleep. I love coffee, love, love coffee, enjoy coffee. It's part of like, I think, my identity as a coffee person. I didn't start drinking coffee till I was like 35 or 36. And I was drinking coffee as a tool to overcome sleep. And I thought I was supposed to. And it was like this way of overcoming the loss of sleep, right? That is something that I've had to work on and change. I love coffee because I love the ritual of it. I love the delight of how it tastes. I love a really good cup of coffee and I'm a coffee snob, but it's not so much about overcoming the loss of sleep. Sometimes it can be, but I've been working on the sleep bit. So being a taker of our bodies can be using coffee to keep us going instead of looking at, wait, why am I so fatigued? Another example of being a taker of our bodies is sleep aids, to get ourselves asleep and to shut off our brains. And again, when I say this, remember I said earlier that there could be triggers. I'm not saying you're doing it wrong. I'm not saying that. There's not a judgment. For me, I've chosen, and I'm not a doctor, right? I've chosen not to use sleep aids because one is my family, I have a family history of an addictive personality. And I thought, if I do that that's how I'm going to have to put myself to sleep. So back in 2012, there was a lot of really good stuff happening in our lives and in our families. My husband had a swimmate, the Olympic team in London for swimming. And there was all this excitement. I mean, there's this adrenaline rush, right? It'd been a hard couple of years. We have this like huge thing. I get some hope back and my phone's going crazy because people are so excited. It was just, it's like the total Cinderella story, right? But with two men but my brain started going on overdrive and overdrive and I couldn't fall asleep and I couldn't sleep and I couldn't sleep. And I had a friend who's a doctor who had me try some supplement to fall asleep and that didn't work. And finally, after like 25 days, I went to my doctor and I took a sleeping pill. I was like, I just needed to get some sleep and I had some rules about it. I think I did it for like three days, reset. And then I worked on it. And since 2012, it's 10 years now, I have been practicing on developing better sleep habits that support me, right? And so for me, I don't use sleep aids because partly because of the my family's history with addiction and then partly the other side is what I learned in my practice is that the research shows that there's not a true restedness of falling asleep so I'm working on developing the skills where I can develop a ritual to have better sleep and like the latest bit that I've been learning for me of what works for me is not watching television before I go to sleep it's an easy way to shut my brain down and to fall asleep, but I've always noticed, or I continue to notice this pattern of when I do that, I wake up in the middle of the night, my sleep isn't a sound. So for me, what actually supports my sleep is reading. I don't do it all the time. Like, right, sometimes I still pull out my iPad and I'll watch something. It's a practice. Remember I talked about doing B minus work or A work, right? Eight ninety 90% of the time, that's the invitation for you. These are examples, they're not a protocol of what you need to do, right? You go back and listen to you. That is important. It's about you trusting yourself, not going out to what other people do. This show has always been about the windows of possibility and what are the nuggets of insight that you can take and then apply in your own life and try it and test it out. It's not to say, oh, this is what I've done and you now need to follow it, right? So those are examples of how we're takers of bodies and how we treat our bodies. Being a giver to our bodies is about resting, Now, I want to say something with context, right? I have clients. We have an agreement that I will show up ready to support them through their session, right? I need to show up and be rested because we have an agreement. There's an expectation. And so I really think about like, what do I need to do to take care of myself so that I can fully be available to them? Resting doesn't mean, oh, I didn't have a good night of sleep the night before and I need to cancel on them, right? That is not resting or, oh, I'm feeling really tired right now and we're in the middle of a session and off I must go. That's not what I'm talking about resting. Resting is what do I need to do so that I can show up and fully support, right? And I also have enough awareness of like, oh, if I have a bad night, I've also put in kind of money in the sleep bank of where I know that I can still do well and support my clients. I learned that as an athlete, sometimes you get so nervous, you may not sleep well the night before. And I've known that, okay, I can still swim fast, right? It's when it's the day after day, after day, after day, after day of not taking rest. So I have rest that's built into my life, whether it's in the evenings or it could be in the mornings, or it can be on the weekends, and I have really deep rest that I do. So examples is I've been just this year, because I've had to really work on some more rest, is when I wake up in the morning, not jumping out of bed, like the alarm goes off and like, okay, I got to get started, right? There's somebody out there that goes, you know, you need to get up in five seconds, five, four, three, two, one, go. I've done enough of that in my life. And at this stage of my life, listening to what my body needs, that's not what it needs. And so giving myself time to gradually wake up. And as I've been working on taking better care of myself this year and listening in and tuning in, it's been so interesting. The last couple of weeks I've been noticing I've been waking up at six o'clock in the morning, right? And getting going with my day, And when I say getting on with my day, maybe I get out of bed at 6.30 or something like that. But it's been an easy gradual wake up where I'm awake and I'm energized. Earlier this year, I was not awake and energized. I was really, really exhausted. And so I've been doing some real deep work around this, right? If I only knew this as a collegiate athlete, I might have been so much faster, Sleep is so important. And I grew up in a sport where we wake up early in the mornings. I remember being in high school, getting up at four in the mornings to be in the car by 4.15, to drive to morning practice, to be on the pool deck by 4.40 so we could take off cover, set up the pool and be in the water by five, right? Right. You know, and then coming back in the afternoons and practicing till seven at night, getting home I don't know seven forty five eight eating dinner, somehow studying and getting to bed and not really having sleep, so it was like, but we're tough, we're resilient, there needs to be context. Sleep is really important. there's so much sleep research out there. we need sleep, so I've had to unlearn some of my own family of origin programming. My dad used to say when I was in high school why would I waste a third of my life to sleep? And that's an example of programming that happens. I don't think he ever said it directly to me. I just heard him say it. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. And I took that on. And I just decided that's stupid to sleep. I can sleep four hours. And sure, I can function on four hours on a case by case basis. But long term, it has not worked out well, right? There's been some assets that it's really hit me hard in. So, this third of a life, right? I've really worked on undoing and unlearning that family of origin programming. And for a long time, it was part of our cultural program, right? We need to overwork and undersleep, and we can sleep when we die. We need to sleep. Our brains work better. It's safer for those of us on the road, other people on the road driving with us, right? There's been research about an unslept person and how dangerous they are to others. So, unlearning this programming has been something that has been my work in progress. The other part about sleep was also, it was like this FOMO, this fear of missing out, like, oh, if I sleep, then I'm going to miss out on hanging out with friends or a television show. Well, we now have, you know, DVRs, right? So there's really no missing out of television shows. It will come back. Most of my life I can come back to, am I really missing out? So I've had to unpack and unwrangle these two things and work on being a giver. And speaking of like FOMO is there's also phones, right? Phones are designed to pull us back into the phone and they're very addictive, So my question for you is like, what systems do you have supporting you to be a giver to your bodies? So an example that I go back and forth on, and I'm going to own my story with you, because I'm still a work in progress. I will always be, is I go back and forth. Like I had a client, I don't know, probably a year ago, say she was plugging her phone in the bathroom. And I was like, oh, that's fantastic. And I took that idea and I was, I'm going to put like my phone in my office. And I did. And it slowly crept back and it's back on my nightstand. And some nights I don't go to it and I get into bed and I read and some nights, like a few nights ago, I was on it scrolling through. I don't even remember really what was on it, but I know I didn't get good sleep that night. Right? So as I was writing and preparing for today's show, I realized like, oh yes, I want to put my phone back in my office. I don't need it next to me in my nightstand. It's not necessary right? But I used to have justifications for it. It was like, no, I need to have it. Really, I don't. It's okay. If there are certain people that need to call me, they know how to get a hold of me because I'm still one of the people that has a landline. So the other part of being a giver to our bodies is workouts, workouts that support you. You know, maybe you like to like push yourself and get really, you know, exhausted and tired and, you know, but what are the workouts that support you? That's what's really important. And as I'm becoming more well-rested, I'm noticing that, oh, my body's actually hungering for more movement. And a couple weeks ago, I started swimming. I got back in the pool and it's something I haven't done in a really long time. Well, I, I swam probably a couple of times last summer, but it was so nice to get into the pool and I'm getting into the pool as who I am today Versus trying to compete with who I was 30 years ago. So I have quite an enjoyable experience. The person I went swimming with didn't have quite the enjoyable experience because I think they're still comparing themselves to who they were a long time ago, right? I really own my story. I've been really compassionate. I go in and I do my favorite swimming workout. And back in the day when I was a collegiate swimmer, that would have essentially been my warm up. (laughs) (laughs) But it's my favorite thing to do. I love it. I have so much glee and happiness. And I was astonished that I could go into a flip turn and go right into a flip turn. And it felt great. It was really delightful. I'm not being a taker from exercise right? And being a taker to my body, I'm giving it. It was something about like just being in the water and replenishing and, you know, washing my brain, right? Getting those, the, the blue brain and clearing out just all the emotional energy of this thing that we call life. So for me, swimming, right? A thing, another thing I've talked about is the melt method. I love that foam rolling. I woke up this morning and my calves were really tight. And I thought, you know, before I get even started, I'm going to foam roll. And I did that, right? I love that. Something I, I want to go back to that I've left because of COVID and got to look into the studio again, but it's going back to yin nidra yoga, right? These are all restorative things that I love, right? Walking is a way to give back to my body. I don't run anymore. I used to, but I did it because I should. I was supposed to, right? Versus, did I like it, right? And now it's not something I want to do, but I do love to walk. I'm going to go back into weightlifting and Pilates and that kind of thing in terms of like structural and wanting to be strong. Not that like, oh, I have to be sore to to prove to myself that I worked hard, but I want to be structurally strong. I want my back to be stable. I want my core to be strong. So those are ways that I'm giving back to my body, right? Another way of giving back to my body is being compassionate with myself, talking to myself the way I would sit here and talk with you, right? Another way of giving back to myself, my body is by enjoying the experience. Like I've had water in my ears and I'm like, oh, it's got to figure out a system to support this because I don't want to have an ear infection. But what are things, it's not everything is going to be 100% delightful or enjoyable. There is some friction jumping into the pool, even though it was a really hot 98 degree day. I was standing there and I was sweating on the outside of the pool and I was like, oh, I really don't want to do this. I really don't want to do this. And I jumped in. And I mean, within like four strokes, I was fine, but that initial was very uncomfortable, right? But I know enough to get past that. So those are just examples of how we can give to our bodies, right? Taking care of our bodies, taking exquisite care of our bodies, not doing it perfectly, not doing all the cultural program, what we should do, how it should look, but what feels good for you? What do you believe? What do you know about yourself? And remember, for me, year 50, I'm going to turn 50 soon, is about being a woman who takes extraordinary care of herself. And my invitation is, do you want to join me? So as I wrap up today... Remember, they're givers and takers. And I imagine many people in this community here at How She Really Does It, we have a lot of givers in this community. My clients tend to be givers, over givers, right? We have to work on them having more mutuality in their relationships and what they give to others. It's not a problem to be a giver, but we don't want to always just be sucked dry by the takers. And then the interesting thing is that we are often takers of our own body. Right, We put our bodies through a lot and it's, it really supports us and takes care of us. And then we beat it down because we're like, I'm too fat, I'm overweight, or I don't like the way my arms hang, or I don't like the way this fits. And we beat ourselves up instead of like thanking our body for taking care of ourselves, for getting ourselves through whatever we're getting through. Even with the extra weight or the wrinkles or whatever, the lack of muscles that you may want to have, like really thanking our bodies. It's time to be a giver to our bodies because when we run dry, we won't be able to give to all those people that we're giving to. The one thing I learned, I've learned so much from Brene Brown, but on the very first interview I had with her many, many years ago, which took me, I mean, this is what, 2010, 2011, we talked about letting go of perfection and we'll put that podcast in the show notes so you can access that one too. But what we wound up spending a good portion of time around was we cannot give what we do not have. So if we don't give to us, we're working on borrowed time by being givers to other people and being surrounded by takers. And then that's where it goes into that overindulgences, whether it's the numbing with food, alcohol, with our phones, spending money, but constantly feeling depleted. So this is why we wanna stop being takers of our bodies and being givers of our bodies. Then we actually have more to give others and we won't get run dry. All right, my friend, I'm smiling big for you. I'm excited for those that are going to join me in this next year on taking extraordinary care of themselves. Bye now. Hey, if you enjoy listening to this podcast, you'll love my weekly emails. I know you're thinking, Corinne, really? Do I want another email in my overflowing inbox? Yes, you do. Yippee skippy, you do. These are short. They're sweet. On Fridays, I send out the Friday podcast. It's a great reminder that Because people often want to know what to do and how to do it, and maybe sometimes it's a story that you get, or there's like one time I wrote about the 10 ways to practice gratitude, and that became such a great tool when one of the readers was struggling in the middle of the night because can be a scary place in our brains in the middle of the night. And she remembered the email that I sent about 10 ways to practice gratitude. And she was able to practice gratitude and fall back asleep. And that was an awesome lesson for her to incorporate into her life. Go to the show notes and there's a link in the show notes where you can sign up and get these emails in your box. On lake, she is dreaming, she is drifting never been so wide away.